Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's coming up on the podcast today. Premier Ford is still dodging questions about Canada Christian College. Anglican cleric Michael Corrin joins me to talk about Charles McVitie. Who is he? Plus, a staple of my youth, a place where all of my worst fashion crimes were committed, the Chateau is closing. We share your fashion crimes as well. Stay with us. Let's get to it. Why is the Ford government using an omnibus bill that is supposed to cut red tape for businesses during the pandemic to extend the reach of Charles McVitie and Canada Christian College? The Premier was asked about this yesterday. Is he giving special consideration to a political supporter and friend in Charles McVitie? Here's what the Premier had to say. Mr. McVitie is going through the same process of every single other university in this in this province, and uh, many of them have gone through it. He's going through it. It's an independent uh, process, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. That's Doug Ford during his press conference yesterday in the House yesterday at Queen's Park. Kathleen Wynne spoke about Charles McVitie, a controversial Christian leader, and here's what the former premier had to say about Charles McVitie in a question to the minister responsible. Why this government would extend the mandate of the most publicly and vocally homophobic man in Ontario? Why, in the name of all that is decent, would this minister validate the hateful, vicious, racist, and homophobic rhetoric of Charles McVitie by extending the reach of his Canada Christian College? That is Kathleen Wynne at Queen's Park on Thursday and her comments about Charles McVitie being a homophobe, being intolerant. Those were echoed by the NDP and the Green Party and the new leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, Stephen Del Duca. Here is Doug Ford's response to what Kathleen Wynne had to say. Uh, let's keep in mind, uh, the Christian Canada, or Canada Christian College uh, has been open for 53 years under her term, under the Liberals for the last 15 years. So it's going to go through the process and we'll, we'll see what happens. Doug Ford, of course... You know, saying, it, yes, it was open during Kathleen Wynne's tenure, but Kathleen Wynne, that government did not extend the reach, as Kathleen Wynne said, during her tenure. Now, from Ross Romano, who is the minister responsible, it turns out that, of course, that Mr. McVitie and Canada Christian College has not gone through the process yet, that even though it is within the bill the, to extend degree-granting powers to Canada Christian College, it actually has not gone through the process process yet. And the minister responsible said, well, we're going to wait for the process before we proclaim the bill and actually enact it. However, it's already passed second reading. It's in there already. So the question here, this is from Jeff Gray of the Globe and Mail to the Premier. Why is it in the bill if the process has not been completed? Why, if they're still in the process and they haven't gotten this minister's consent that they need, um, why is there a bill before the House already that presumes that they've gone through the process and, and they've gotten approval? Well, it doesn't say they're they're got approval already, but they're going to go through the process like every single other person. And I'm not going to treat them differently than anyone else. That is the Premier not answering that question. Jeff Gray asked it for a second time, gave an opportunity to the Premier to answer again. Why is it then in a bill if the process has not been completed? The Premier did not answer. 
For more perspective on who Charles McVitie is, I am pleased to welcome to this program Michael Korn, Anglican cleric, columnist, and author. Welcome, Michael. How are you? Good to speak to you. Good to talk to you as well. Uh, we come at this from, you know, obviously different perspectives, you as an Anglican cleric, but give me a, a perspective within the Christian community how Mr. McVitie is viewed. Um, <laughs> oh, how should I answer that? Not with, uh, uh, not with enormous affection and admiration. Look, he's a fringe player. Even within the evangelical world, he's a fringe player. Years ago, I used to host a TV show on CTS. I think it's now called Yes TV. That has an evangelical basis to that. Even there, he was an outsider. In fact, they took his show off the air because the Canadian uh, Broadcast Authority or Standards Authority uh, had held up various complaints about homophobic comments being made on his show. So even within the mainstream evangelical community, which is conservative, he's seen as being very much on the fringe. As for the rest of the, the Christian world, Anglican, Roman Catholic, and, and, and so on, well, he's not particularly known, but he's seen as a rather clownish person. I, I don't mean this to be personally unpleasant to him, but and I, I've been on TV with him and so on, and, and he, he does speak in, in platitudes, and he's not taken very seriously. His attitudes towards uh, the gay community, towards uh, the Muslim community, and, and I, I think we know how intolerant he is, but there's something else, and that is intellectual excellence. This is not a university. There are many Bible colleges in Canada, and they vary. Some of them are quite good, actually. Some do have university status. I would question one or two of those. But Canada Christian College is simply not a university. The idea that it has equal status to University of Toronto or McGill or Queen's or whatever, any university, is, is ludicrous. And to give it the right to grant degrees, it's not only wrong in terms of giving it undue an unfair uh, status in society. It's unfair to the students who go there because no employer is going to look at a degree from Canada Christian College or whatever it will be called in the future and say this is comparable to a degree from a mainstream university. So in a way, they're being misled. There is no reason at all this would be happening. I can think of no other reason unless there's some sort of personal relationship. And we know, of course, there is a personal relationship between Charles Mavriti and, and the Ford government. Uh, there is a political relationship. Mavriti has supported the, the Ford government at, at uh, on numerous occasions and most opportunities. So it all, look, it all looks so terribly bad. And as, as you said, it's not hidden as such, but it, it's just tucked away in a bill that is meant to, to have nothing to do with with education. It's about helping small business through a time of crisis caused by the virus. So I mean, the Premier comes out of this very badly indeed, and I think he was very ill-advised. You don't take him at his word that he has got nothing to do with it, that this is an independent process? Well, uh, I mean, I'm 61 years old. I'm getting on now and call me a cynic. But uh, <laughs> I find it difficult to do that because it comes from nowhere. It's not you know, are the people of Ontario saying things aren't too bad, but we, we have to give university status to Canada, Christian. No, of course not. I mean, this comes out of some sort of motivation. And if we question motivation, what is it? Is it that Ford really believes that, that this is... Uh, uh, 
it, it's wrong. It, it's a shame. It's a disgrace that Canada Christian College isn't a university. Or is it more likely that he looks at Charles McVitie and sees a loyal and faithful supporter and friend? Well, I'll leave that up to your listeners to conclude. I mean, conflict of interest is about perception many times, and there is obviously basis for perception here. The thing that jumps out at me immediately, obviously beyond what you were pointing out about, you know, what is it doing in this omnibus bill about red tape, is what is it doing in a bill if the process has not been completed? Well, that's a very good question, and and we heard in the answers that you played earlier on that ministers and the Premier, they're, they're, they're fudging. They, they don't exactly know how to respond to this. I find it, well, frankly, I find it impossible to believe that an objective panel uh, analyzing the, the educational level and the, and the status and achievements of Canada Christian College would say this is a university. I just, I, that is beyond comprehension. I, I've been to a few universities in my time and they vary, but it, it, I just, if you look at the, the staff, the academic staff, the, the level of education, it, it's not a university. That's not, uh, I mean, it, I suppose it is to criticize it, of course it is, but it can be what it wants to be. It's Canada Christian College, fine, let it do what it does. But to say it's a university it is like saying that a car is a bus. It simply isn't. It's a, it's a different thing. And the attitudes that have been shown by Charles Mavidi, who is the president, if any president of a university in this country spoke the way and wrote the way that Charles Mavriti has done, well, I don't think that person would last very long. There will be colossal questions about funding, about attitude, and about the university itself. I mean, should this independent panel, when it is assessing the college, take uh, the, the, the character of the president of the college into account when making its decision and recommendation? I think so. I, I don't think they'd even get to that level because if they if they looked at the educational standards, I, I believe the conclusion would be that this is not appropriate to the university or to award BAs and BSCs. But also, it's not that for most universities, if I ask most people who is the president of whatever university or the chancellor, they'd have no idea. When it comes to Canada Christian College, Charles McVitie is Canada Christian College. He's so tied up with it. He's also used the, the it's moved now out to Whitby, but when it was in Toronto, he used the college to host people who were pretty conservative um, and had some attitudes that certainly don't represent mainstream Canada. So I think that is a valid question to ask. It's not as though he's one of many. He's a central, the central player when it comes to the college. I was speaking with uh, Michael uh, Corrin, who is an Anglican cleric, columnist and author. And just a final question. I, I made this comparison yesterday, and I wonder if I overreach at all when I do this, but do you think it's fair to say that Mr. McVitie would be Ontario's Falwell, and that if this goes through, then Canada Christian College becomes Ontario's Liberty University. I would say he probably has higher personal ethical standards than Mr. Falwell, in my experience. (laughs) But uh, no, I, I think it's a valid comparison to make, actually. Michael, I appreciate you being on the program today. Thank you so much. Anytime, my friend. Thank you. That is Michael Corrin, and you can read his story about the real reason the Ford government wants to let Canada Christian College grant degrees. It is on iPolitics. You can read it there. And we have reached out two days in a row to Charles McVitie and to Canada Christian College. We have had no response. 
I know you want to talk about exactly what I want to talk about, and I can't believe it didn't make the newscast, but here it is, folks. And I really, I, I'm sorry to be the one that breaks this to you. If you haven't heard already, I know this is gonna, this is gonna sting a little bit. Le Chateau is closing. Yeah, it breaks my heart. It's it's gone, people. Now you're saying, Alan, I have not been to Le Chateau forever, uh, and obviously, unless you happen to be. Uh, a teenager being forced to listen to this program, that's probably true. Okay, Boomer. But the thing is, is do we not all have stories about Le Chateau? I want your stories. 416-870-6400. Tell me your stories, your Le Chateau stories. Tell me about the fashion crimes that you have committed. God knows that I have. And they were all, almost all of them, Le Chateau related. And I'm going to tell you about that. I want your stories coming up. we got a lot to talk about on the Alan Carter radio program. We're going to be talking about testing and tracing, whether or not either of those things are actually happening fast enough. We're going to talk about LTCs. We've got some information on long-term care that has just broken in the last hour or so. That is coming straight up. We are also going to be tackling the Charles McVitie story again today because we have more developments on Charles McVitie, the controversial uh, religious leader uh, and president of Canada Christian College. And is Doug Ford using the pandemic to reward a friend and political ally? Michael Corrin coming up with a unique perspective on Charles McVitie, who he is and what it is that he stands for. Plus, we're going to talk about the United States election and the debate last night. I have this question. I have this question. If I say, if I say I am the least racist person in the room, does that not actually make me a racist? I mean, in my particular case, I'm broadcasting to you from a closet in Don Mills. I am the only person in the room. Donald Trump last night saying he was the least racist person in the room. We're going to dig through the debate. What does it all mean? Plus, we're going to talk about Halloween. Can you actually trick-or-treat in any kind of a way that's going to be exciting and fun for the kids? Oh, it's all about the kids. Think of the children. They won't have the opportunity to shop at Le Chateau and make those fashion mistakes. They're not going to have that chance. Your stories about your Le Chateau fashion crimes coming right up. But let's get to the numbers real quick. 826 is your case numbers. Don't get freaked about the numbers. Don't worry about the daily numbers. They're out of date anyway. 40,000, the tests, that's up, but still down from the 50,000 we've been promised. We're promised 50,000. 35,000 pending. Again, that number keeps coming up. As soon as the tests go up, so does the pending number. And that doesn't bode well for what I've been talking about with testing and tracing. And we have all kinds of evidence that it still is not underway again. We know that Toronto Public Health, you know, a couple of weeks ago said, we're not even doing it anymore. It doesn't even make any sense. The tests are so out of date. Tracing is pointless. We're going to get an update. We're going to get an update, pardon me, from the health minister at 1 o'clock today. There was a... Uh, a, a, 
call, a phone call, a teleconference, that's what they call it, a teleconference uh, with a bunch of the health officials this morning for reporters to talk about testing and tracing. And we're going to get an update on that coming up at 1 o'clock today. Uh, Here's the other numbers that I always uh, point out to you. The hospitalization number up by six, the ICU number up by four. Again, lagging indicators. That means that, you know, what we're seeing now, two weeks from now, that will show up in the hospital. So we're sort of seeing that lagging indicator now kick up as those hospitalization numbers continue. And I like to point this out, Halton numbers, Halton 34 And so the Halton numbers are a little higher than they were yesterday, but still not high enough to really teeter Halton into, you know, being pushed into a modified stage two. That's got to be a concern for Oakville and for my hometown of Burlington. The other big news with COVID-19 is we're just about to get to your thoughts on your fashion crimes is an independent commission studying the effects of COVID-19 into Ontario long-term care homes has now put out an interim report. The report was not supposed to be out until next spring, but the commission said, listen, we're in a stage two, and seniors in LTCs, people in LTCs, are at risk. And so, therefore, we must put these recommendations out right now. And what the recommendations say in a letter to the Minister of Long-Term Care is that the government's got to pony up some cash ASAP, some cash for the homes to be able to hire more personal support workers and nurses. And so far, the response from the government has been, we're looking into it. We'll get back to you. Expect questions about that today for Doug Ford and the opposition jumping on this, saying, look, what this report says, which is that, you know, residents of long-term care homes felt just absolutely ignored by the Ford government in the first wave. And the opposition is saying, we told you so. And here we are again, we're right in the second wave, and we have to have this report convince the government to actually step up and do something. But can I talk Le Chateau real quick? Because the Montreal-based clothing chain, Le Chateau, a staple of Canadian malls, is going out of business. 123 stores across this country will be shut down. Now, some of you might say, I thought Le Chateau had already closed down. But no, it's still there. It's still in malls. And this is going to impact about 1,400 employees, both uh, within the stores and also within the warehouses and in uh, the head offices in Montreal. And just RIP to my youth. I don't know if you're like me. But uh, me growing up in Burlington, going to the Burlington Mall, in, uh, in, in grade 10, I believe, was my greatest fashion crime. Uh, and what it was, uh, it was a pink ruffled tuxedo shirt uh, that also came with a striped pink and black sweater vest that went over top of this thing uh, and some black slacks, slacks. And I wore this bad boy to high school, to Nelson High School in Burlington, Ontario. (laughs) This was my high fashion crime. Um, I actually, and not only did I wear it to high school, I bought this specifically. I'm talking grade 10, folks. Uh, In grade 10, I wore this for my photo, my school photo. So their photos still exist, I believe. At one point, it was hanging in my parents' house in Burlington, and, you know, as I got into my, like, late 30s, early 40s, I I think I had to actually say to my mom, like, could we please take this down? This is horrifying. 
What's your fashion crime? What's your Le Chateau fashion crime? David's on line one. Go, David. Thank you, Alan. Uh, actually, I bought my first suit ever back when uh, it was more of a, I guess a, I guess it's always been kind of a unisex shop, but uh, I bought my first suit. It was an all-black three-piece suit, hand-stitched. I still have it today. I'm reluctant to throw it out. It's in, <laughs> it's in impeccable shape. It was, uh, it was Don't get an open hand- flame near that, David. That thing will uh, go up like woof. <laughs> It, it actually, it's all wool. It's 100% wool. It's an absolute gorgeous garment. And uh, I wore that for a number of years uh, after. And uh, I, like I said, every time I go to clean my closet, I, I just, it's in my hand and nah, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Jerry's on line three. Back in the 80s, this was the place to go, right, Jerry, to go to Le Chateau? Oh, my God, I lived in that place. I'll tell you what, it was all related to Miami Vice. The TV show had just come out. I was probably 18 or 19, thought I was pretty cool. So I I passed by, and I went in, and I saw the pinstripe gray pants, the powder blue shirt, the white jacket with the the shoulder pads. Oh, beautiful. Oh, yeah, I I came walking out of there and uh, thought I was uh, the king, you know. And uh, then I went and bought the Yawn Hammer tape so I could listen to the theme song. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Beautiful, Jerry. Beautiful. And now it's gone. Le Chateau, appreciate your call, Jerry. I have time for one more quick call, one more fashion crime from Wade. Wade, Le Chateau is gone. What what, what was your fashion crime from Le Chateau? Oh, damn. Um, It was back in 88. uh, It was my, my graduation year. So about six months before grad, I went in. I bought a suit with my ma, this, that, the other thing. It was a it was a waist high jacket, super cool, you know, the, uh, like ice ski or whatever the hell it was. And uh, next thing you know, what I grew three inches, two inches, three inches, and uh, I looked like the tallest mariachi ever when I got to my prom. So all you see was shirt tails hanging out. <laughs> God Almighty, what an atrocity! Thanks, Wade. Appreciate your call. Just uh, some reminiscences about uh, buying clothes at Le Chateau. Let's talk a little Halloween, shall we? Just a little bit more than a week away from Halloween. It just seems so very 2020 that this year Halloween is on the weekend, uh, you know, because that's the real bonus when you get the Halloween. Like the Halloween on a Tuesday, nobody likes that. And when you got young kids, I can tell you this for free. You think to yourself, I, I've thought this for a long time. I'm like, Why can't we just make Halloween the last Friday of the month of October? Why can't we do that? Because you kids, you got the kids, and they go out and they get their, you know, bag full of candy, and then they come home, and they get the sugar high going. They're bouncing off the walls. It's 11.30, you know, midnight. You're trying to get them to bed, and you got to get them up to school in the morning, and they're freaking the day after Halloween. Get that kid and the kids up and going to school in the morning. That's not easy. But it's neither here nor there because, of course, that's not going to be a thing this year because you're not going to be going trick-or-treating, especially not in the hot spots of Ontario. And to talk more about the reality of Halloween 2020, I'm excited about this. I'm pleased to welcome back to the program uh, freelance reporter Laura Hensley. Laura, how are you? Hi, Alan. I'm well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Laura, it is so good to hear from you. Uh, what do you think about Halloween? What's it going to be like, you think? Well, I think Halloween is going to be very different this year, which is a huge shame because I'm a huge Halloween fan. It's my favorite holiday of the year. And I think many children and teens feel the exact 
same way. You know, the idea of dressing up, seeing your friends, going door to door and getting free candy. I mean, it's the holiday that's made for children. So this year, it's going to look a lot different. And I think people are going to have to find really creative ways to still make it as special, you know, as they can while staying inside. All right, you've been talking to some experts. How do we make it special for the little ones? Well, there's many ways, um, and I'm happy to go through some of them. A lot of experts are saying, you know, kids love the idea of getting candy and finding candy. So instead of trick-or-treating, why don't you hide candy around the house? Kind of you know like what we call Easter. that? We call that Easter. That's what we call yeah. Easter. <laughs> well, we got to get creative this year, Alan. You know, <laughs> you can shove some Mars bars between the sofa. I don't know. Get creative, hide the candy. Find it next year. It, it, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, another idea that's, you know, pretty safe is have a Halloween horror film night. So, you know, people are saying you can get your kids, have a spooky meal with some candlelight, carved pumpkins, and then watch a horror film together as a family. Of course, still eating treats, relatively safe inside. Um, but one that I thought was pretty fun is a Halloween craft night. So you can use those Kleenexes to make those fun Kleenex ghosts, uh, pipe cleaners to make Spiders. There's tons of crafts online if your kids are into that. You know, the mess is probably going to be scary, but it's at least a way to keep them entertained when they can't go out. Yeah, when all else fails, get out the glue gun, right? Am I right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you're if you have teens or if you're an adult, I, I've heard of a lot of people doing like a Halloween virtual party where uh-huh. you're still wearing costumes, get dressed up. You can have a competition, you know, but it, it gives you a chance at least to see some other people in their costumes, which is half the fun. Right. And then you get all on a Zoom call and everybody's on the Zoom call. And then all of a sudden there's Jeffrey Tubin on your Zoom call and you got to turn it off. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> And that's too scary for me. I do not want to be on that. <laughs> too much has happened this year. I can't handle that. <laughs> uh, here's here's a question. I know you speak for all the youngins out there. Um, you and I in different demographics. You think the kids, uh, and, and I'm, I don't mean kids, I mean the under 40s. You think the under 40s are not going to be going to Halloween parties this year in Toronto and Peel and Ottawa and the places they're not supposed to be? I don't know. I hope so. I mean, like, it's, it's, if you are going to a Halloween party, you're going to be pretty, you know, easily called out. You can't go on the subway in a costume. <laughs> there's not really an excuse for that. So if you're seen out and about in a costume, it's pretty clear you're probably breaking the rules. So there could be some, you know, public accountability. I mean, we hold a Halloween party every year, and last year was so much fun with all my friends, so I'm super sad that I can't do it again this year. Um, but everyone I know, at least, has, is, is respecting the rules, and they're not doing any parties. I just don't think it's safe right now. I, you know what else? What I, what, you know, you look for the, the silver linings. Here's a couple of silver linings. Um, we're not this year doing the standard story that I, we always do, which is how come every Halloween costume's got to be sexy? None of those stories out there this year. No, it's true. It's true. And every year we always have to talk about, you know, offensive Halloween costumes and the same people who just don't seem to get cultural appropriation. They make the same offenses. So that has been pushed aside, which is a silver lining for sure. And we can focus now on like, how are we going to keep people entertained? But we have had months of experience keeping ourselves entertained inside. So one more night, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. How are you handling it? Are, are you getting out? I, I actually left the house yesterday. I, I it was a you know I went someplace and it was weird. It's it's isn't it strange? Where did you go? 
Well, I, it was a kind of a sad thing, but I, you know, I, I went to, you know, there's a kind of a uh, get together in Burlington for a, a friend's father who had passed, and it, you know, mm-hmm. so it was a sad thing. But just even getting together in a room full of people, even with masks, it's mm-hmm. it's a weird thing. It really is. And I think that it's going to take people a bit of time. You know, once we are able to socialize without masks and be inside and have these parties, it's going to be weird at first. Like, you know, even if someone outside that I meet a friend at a park or going for a walk, you know, there's this instinct to go and hug them or to give them, you know, some sign of affection. And then it takes a second, like, oh, no, I can't actually touch anyone right now. Um, And then you step back. So it's super weird. I think it's going to be a bit of a learning curve how we, you know, convey emotion and be around each other once again. We're going to come out as super socially awkward, I think. That'll be next year's problem. Yeah, and like, you know, especially even last night with it, I mean, this was an emotional thing and where, you know, normally, you know, that human touch and hugs and all of that sort of thing would have been you know that would have been part of what you were doing and you you, and there wasn't that and it seemed very disjointed and weird i want to ask you about this because uh, i've been talking about it all uh, hour long um as i mentioned you and i are of different demographics but do you have any le chateau fashion crimes that you want to share with us I, I do. When I was hearing that intro, I was laughing to myself because I loved Le Chateau growing up at the local mall. And I mean, when I, I didn't have a lot of money because I was a child, I didn't have a job. So I remember one instance in particular, I was going to a Pink concert, uh, the singer Pink, and I thought that that meant I had to dress all in pink. Uh, so I went to Le Chateau and I bought this sequin top it was like this halter top that had a butterfly at a sequence and at the time it was expensive because you know sequins um so i didn't have enough money to afford it but i bought it with what i had saved and then i did a really bad thing that i'm embarrassed about i returned it after i wore it to the oh. naughty naughty <laughs> <laughs> that was a real le chateau crime that is that is a true you've stepped it up an extra level thank you laura appreciate that <laughs> Laura Hensley is a uh, freelance journalist. You can read her story about a modified Halloween that's on refinery29.com. Is Halloween canceled? Canada 2020. Laura, great to talk with you. Stay safe. Thanks so much, Alan. Bye. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.